Hello, everyone, and welcome to what I consider a very special edition of, of the show. A guy I've been looking forward to talking to for a while now. We've uh, gone back and forth a little bit. I'm Chad Dotson, of course, uh, the host of The Riverfront. And uh, joining me tonight is Cam Miller. Most of you probably know Cam if you uh, are, are around the Reds online. Um, I can't imagine that you're not familiar with Cam. At Cam Miller Films on, uh, on Twitter and uh, Cam Miller Films on YouTube. Cam. Thanks for joining us tonight, man. Really good to talk to you. My friend, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to be with you this evening. So we're going to talk a, a little bit about uh, how, you, how how Cam Miller Films became a thing, uh, how you got there. But but I want to go ahead and start with the reason why we're really talking here is um, you have a really exciting project that's going to be released uh, here, in a, here in a couple of weeks. I think September 9 is the premiere. I'll let you talk about that a little bit. Um, but uh, it's a it's a it's a your latest uh, documentary film, and it's about some of this near and dear to my heart, to yours as well, and to many of the listeners of this show, which is actually called The Riverfront for a reason. Best uh, title ever. Stadium. <laughs> exactly. Tell me about your new film. Um, okay, so I was working on a film for the Reds Hall of Fame, um, actually several films, um, but one was going to be called Finley and Western, which it still will be called Finley and Western when I finish it. We were knee deep in that. We were. It's going to be about you know where Crosley Field, Redland Field, Palace of the Fans was located. But um, we took a U-turn when we realized that it's been 20 years since we lost the old gal. And Riverfront, uh, as you said before, it's just a special place. And I, I got, I started thinking. It's like I've got all this research we were, we were going to do for Riverfront film later. Let's push that up until now. So I completely changed gears, started working on Riverfront. I had most of the research done, so that was fantastic. I just kind of had to put it in order. It's like a puzzle. You know, you have to put these pieces together. And we started a few months ago, and it has been a complete and utter whirlwind to try to get this finished. Um, of course, you know, the film, if it was up to me, it would be a Netflix streaming series, probably 12 parts. It would be three hours long. It would be Ken Burns-esque. But we don't have that kind of time. But I will say that the Riverfront film will be a book. I'm doing it backwards. So I'm doing Riverfront, the film first, then the book later. It's usually the other way around. But um, I cannot wait. It's 30 minutes. It's going to be September 9th. And I can tell you that it is officially sold out. So the premiere has been sold out a couple days. Um, the theater, Jeff Weiler Family Theater at the Hall of Fame sold out for September 9th. But we will show it online some point down the road free for everybody to see. So I'm really looking forward to it, my ma'am. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. At the, at the, at the theater, at the Reds hall of fame, uh, September 9th, the, the, the grand premiere and what a subject for, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm biased obviously because my, you know, my formative years of being a Reds fan are all centered around that big hunk of concrete, uh, down by the river. And, and so, uh, I'm excited just to kind of relive the the magic of that place. And and maybe some fans today don't quite understand what I mean about the magic of that place. But uh, you agree with me, right? It was just, it was, it was oh, magical. No question. I have always said that um, one of the hardest pills to swallow, I guess you could say, was when it was, you know, imploded and there were cheers. That really, really oh. bothered me. It was really something that stuck with me while making this film um, was to hear going through all the footage, you know, of all of the broadcasts of the implosion and realizing why are people cheering? People don't think of this place. Like I thought of this place, wait a minute, something's amiss here. But 
I think it got a bad rap, as you know. It, it really was not supposed to be a fancy ballpark. It wasn't supposed to be a neighborhood-friendly confine. It wasn't supposed to be this majestic thing where a uh, Fenway, a Wrigley. That was what Crosley was for. Cincinnati was going through a transition. They needed a park that functioned, not just function, but multifunctioning. It had to be like a machine. The reason why the big red machine existed was because their stadium was efficient. It served a purpose. It was a machine bolted along the banks of the Ohio River. It had its it has its downfall, of course. It had its problems, of course, like any stadium does, but it wasn't supposed to be pretty. So when people say it was this big dump, well, it may be so, but it was our dump. And it, like you said, the magic. And when I go down there to that spot to this day, um, I can hear the ghosts. I, I'm, I mean, it's you can hear that roar when you go down into the parking garage underneath the Moorline Logger House right across from Great American Ballpark and you stand where home plate was. Or you go to first base where Pete's hit was. Or you go over to where Joe Morgan played at second or where David Concepcion made his throws at shortstop. Or where Joe Oliver's hit was fair and... That that whole area with today, if you just sit there and you just take it in, I'm telling you, there's something magical and Field of Dreams-esque about the place. And I am so excited to finally put this film out there so people can, again, it's 30 minutes. You're not going to get the whole thing. I had to make a lot of cuts. So the original film was four and a half hours and I had to do a three. So um, a lot's going to be in the book, but the film is going to give a primer for, like you said, no people that don't know the film. Uh, or don't know the, the the history of the park, and for the people that want to go down uh, memory lane. So this is, I think, a little bit of everything for everybody if you're a Reds fan. Well, I, I can't wait for the director's cut uh, of this uh, someday down the line. I'll, I'll buy the DVD or the Blu-ray. Um, just like you said, the 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 book and the the film are kind of kind of in reverse order. I want to start a little bit in reverse order because I do want to talk about the first time I saw the place and the first time you yeah. saw, uh, saw the place. But I want to begin actually somewhere different. The last time I was there. Because if you recall, they had some ridiculous name that I refused to acknowledge at the time. They changed the name of the stadium. But it's <laughs> it's always Riverfront uh, Stadium to me. But, you know, the, the, the last year, they put uh, real grass down. They opened up uh, the left field out there uh, right. as they were building the new stadium because uh, there was a little bit of an overlap. And I remember distinctly walking in and sitting there and, and kind of taking in a game. They are playing against the Houston Astros. I remember the game. And I think in – why are we moving from this place? This place is glorious. It's the best it's ever looked. It's why in the world are we? And I love Great American Ballpark. Great American Ballpark is, is underrated. It's gorgeous. I love being there. Back when I used to go, uh, we're not going to talk about that. But um, but I, I remember sitting there and just looking around, and thinking there's no reason the Reds shouldn't play in this stadium forever. Did, did you have a similar thought, or uh, just well, talk about the end of it? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. The end of it was so traumatic and because you knew it was coming. You knew that that day was going to, whether they were going to be a Broadway Commons or whether they're going to be a Great American or whether they were going to go across the river in North Kentucky, or whether they were going to go up by Kings Island, wherever, all the places they had talked about. Once you saw how that place could be if it was spruced up, um, there was so much potential there. And I really was hoping against hope that they would say, well, you know what? This isn't so bad. That wasn't going to happen because, of course, new stadium is what everybody wanted. You got to have that new shiny thing to get those new shiny free agents and get those that new sh shining pitching staff that never arrived. It was such a <laughs> terrible, terrible decision in, in my aspect to do that. But I understand the business sense of it. I understand why they did it. But you're absolutely right. When you got to see out into the river, imagine, if you will, if that ballpark cut away like it was, grass 
put in, if they would have built things out there where Great American Ballpark was, you could put some old warehouse-esque looking buildings where the Reds Hall of Fame could have been. You could have put some sky rises where you could have got an apartment kind of like Wrigley where you could have looked in. Plus, you've got that shot of the river and the bridges. Just so much potential to have a view that would have been like uh, Pittsburgh, PNC Park, which is what I think of as one of the best stadiums ever I've, I've sure. ever been to. Just an outstanding stadium. Aesthetically, the, the view. They had that opportunity. And, of course, that's not the way Cincinnati works, unfortunately. But um, you're absolutely right. I really, really had hoped, that, hoped against hope that they would have you know, at least considered it. But under Marge's regime, that wasn't going to happen. So, <laughs> No. And, and again, Great American Ballpark. Uh, I love Great Fine, American yeah. Ballpark. They, they yeah. did a good job with it. But uh, I don't know. Uh, you, you always uh, remember your first. Yes, um, indeed. <laughs> in a special way. So I remember the first time I walked in. And it's kind of a, it's absolutely cliche. I've heard of th- people say it a million times, but I distinctly remember walking in and um, go, uh, going through, you know, through uh, one of the, uh, uh, whatever they're called there. But when you first get to see the green. The portal. Yeah. When you go through that portal. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And, and the first time I saw that field and yes, it was AstroTurf, you know, yes, it was uh, not grass out there, but it was the greenest green I'd ever seen. And I was, uh, you know, I was a kid who was obsessed with baseball. And I remember thinking this is, it's just, you, you mentioned field of dreams earlier, but it's kind of that, uh, that gooey field of dreams. Like, uh, you know, uh, I, I was overcome a little bit and I, I remember it to this day. And, uh, so d- did you have a similar first, uh, experience? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was recently actually informed that my first game was uh, the 1975 World Series. I was but a year oh, wow. and a half old. And my parents, I sat on my mom's lap, um, which I had no idea. Because she'd always said, oh, you were at a Reds game. But I, I did the math. I'm like, okay, mom, you're mistaking me for one of my brothers. It couldn't have been me. <laughs> but then she said, no, you were one and a half. You had a little Reds outfit. I posted the picture on Twitter a few times. So that was my first game. Obviously, don't remember that. But I remember distinctly being at a game in 1978. I was four years old. My dad took us. It was August. Um, I don't remember who won. I don't remember who got hits, whether Pete did, whether Davey did, whether there's a great play. I remember the smell, the cigars. I remember looking, going up the escalator. And then once you reach the top and then hearing the repetitive, you know, voiceovers of welcome to front stadium and stepping on the squishy concrete joiners as you walk towards the gate and then you get inside the gate and all of these people are going in their separate directions. It's like a little town within a town. And then you reach the portal and you walk out and I was in the red seats and you go through that portal, And the first time you, your eyes ever see that beautiful green AstroTurf, it takes your breath away. I don't care if you're four years old or 80 years old, there's something magical about that and seeing all of the colors the red, the yellow, the green, the blue, the seats. It's just so magical. And it was a very Roman Coliseum-esque look. It was so big. You had never seen anything that big in your life. And there was going to be a battle on that field. And I remember everything about that. Not the score, not who made great plays. The baseball game was secondary. It was the scoreboard. It was my dad telling me what was going on. And this is how you keep score. It was the hot dogs. It was the stale beer. It was everything about it with sensory overload. I think that's missing today because when you go into a ballpark today, like great American, and again, no offense to ballparks like great American or any major league ballpark, but there was something magical about those old ballparks um, where when you first walk into them and it's your first, you, you realize where you're at. 
you you don't have a million things going on. You're focusing on batting practice. You're focusing on what the grounds crew's doing. You're looking around at all the people in their hats and and writing in their scorebooks as the lineup is announced. Now, when you go in, there's eight, 85 million contests going on. There's 75 million things on the scoreboard to tell you what to do, where to go. And there's just so much going on with your sensories that you can't soak in the important things. And I think that's something that's missed in the game today. Um, but the stadium was a big part of that because, again, going back to what I said earlier, it was for function. And when you walked in there, you knew that something was going to happen on that field. It was going to be a battle. And you were just soaked in. And I will never forget it. It's one of my greatest memories of my life. Yeah, you know, I, for some reason, last night I ran across a uh, photo. You reminded me of it when you, just a moment ago. of, And I sent it to my my daughter and my wife. It was her when she was six months old, her first game, wearing her little Reds outfit. And yeah, we were right. at Great American Ballpark, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I don't know that she's going to have the same relationship to, uh, to Great American. Now, my first time, I've told the story many times. I don't need to go uh, too far into it here. Uh, as long time listeners in the show will know, my first time, of course, I was, it was uh, 83, Johnny Bench. I was eight years old, Johnny Bench's last season. And, all I wanted to do was see this guy that all the adults in my life had been talking about my entire life, Johnny Bench. And he was playing third base at the time. And of course, Wayne Krenchicki started in, in, instead of him. So, <laughs> but, uh, and, and I always tell that story as like a, you know, a crushing blow to an eight year old. And it was, but the fact of the matter is that day is still stuck in my memory because there was a big rain delay. So we were at the ballpark for like five hours. I remember sitting up on one of the ramps that go up uh, to the next level and eating peanuts in there in the rain delay. Me and, uh, you know, I, I had a cousin with us. And my brother was with me and just, I don't know. It was, it was, it was like an amusement park to me. I'd never seen anything like that. And um, I just, you know, uh, I, I, I remember like it was just the smells you mentioned. I remember yeah. sitting in, and yes, I know you look at pictures of it, or even if you were there, you know, it was not, uh, the bright shiny thing it was not you know um uh i don't know it wasn't uh, necessarily uh easy on the eyes as it aged a, right. a little bit but i don't know it just it, a lot of it is wrapped up in my nostalgia for my of how much i love baseball but um i don't know it was <laughs> i keep wanting to use the term magical and, and it sounds it ridiculous was. probably to someone who didn't experience it but that's right. the way it feels to me to this day you're absolutely right and and, and the People will say, oh, you're being nostalgic. You only like it because it was your first place. I'm telling you, there was a magic there that just it, it, it just surrounded you. And there was something about it that um, I'm sure the fans in Atlanta, Fulton County and Philadelphia at Veterans Stadium, I'm sure that those fans have that same feeling. But it was when baseball was baseball. And I know old man yelling at the cloud. I understand that. And everybody has their their opinions on the game today, but I am telling you something about just going to watch a baseball game in this beautiful ballpark that was not meant. It was a product of its time. Remember, this ballpark was state of the art at the time. I mean, it was considered one of the gems of baseball because that's where the game was at that point. Just like when Camden Yards was built in the early 90s, it was like we're going back to that retro era. Things go in cycles. I don't think we'll ever see another Riverfront Stadium when it comes to ballparks. But thats it's not just nostalgia because of what we felt when we were younger. It's something about the way we, we interacted with the game of baseball and how we were able to soak things in because we were allowed the time 
to soak things in. We weren't getting hit in 50 different directions, um, which is, of course, the way society is today. But there's something about that magic that you speak of that's absolutely true. And I think everybody has their magical wherever city they're in. They have those magical feelings. But we were so lucky because not only was it magical, we were surrounded by excellent an excellent product. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. We right. that team was built for that stadium and what a masterful job. It's never been repeated in sports, any any sport. You've never seen a team built for a ballpark that worked and it worked. It absolutely worked and continued for decades. Now the success of the 80s, of course it wasn't as successful, but they were still attempting to try to win belt ball games. That's for sure. It didn't work out, but they sure were trying. It was a, just a glorious place to, to watch a game. Yeah, I mean, well, but with a, with a few exceptions, the Reds, Reds were mostly competitive oh, yeah. the entire time they were in that stadium. Yeah. You know. Yep. Yes, they only agree. won one World Series after the Big Red Machine, but they were mostly competitive that entire time. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. You touched on something that I think is uh, is key, which is that uh, the the game was mm-hmm. was the focus when you were there, yeah. and. Um, and because the game was usually good, the Reds were usually uh, at least a competitor during that time. The game being the focused is, uh, you know, that's uh, <laughs> you, you can get away with that now. Maybe not so much, but right. um, nowadays, though, you know, you walk in, and again, I'm I love Great American Ballpark. I'm not uh, I'm not ragging on it, but but it is uh, in, in comparison to Riverfront, it's it's a video game in a lot of ways, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's fine. Completely. I mean, you know, whatever. Right. But uh, you know, to 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 our generation. Riverfront Stadium is a little bit of a video game as well, and and I love right. the fact that you've recreated some of the uh, the old graphics from the scoreboard. Because anyone that was there sees some of those, um, and is this ah, you know, you're out, and uh, the Mister Red Race, and uh, all those things that uh, every once in a while you'll post one of them, and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I remember that. I remember loving. I love that Mister Red Race as a kid. I just it was the most. It was better than any video game ever, and. It was so right. so primitive, but uh, I love that stuff. Yeah, that was that was so fun. I will I will never forget. I'll tell you the story of how that started. We were doing an '80s exhibit at the Reds Hall of Fame a few years ago. This might have been 2014 ish, I think. It was an '80s exhibit, so we were looking for '80s things for to show in the mantra. And of course, my my brain goes into okay, if it's the '80s, that means Riverfront. If it's Riverfront, you know what that means? It's scoreboard time. I I asked around at the scoreboard department and Chris Eckes at the Hall of Fame and Greg Rhodes at the time. We were like, what do we do? We have anything. And we were digging through these DVDs and we came across this DVD that said scoreboard animations riverfront. My eyes lit up. I said, this can't be true. So I took this DVD home and somebody in the 1980s, the early 80s, 81, 82, had the Werenthal to set a videotape recorder, which again was not something that was easily done. Like today, everybody's got their cell phone. This guy or, or lady, whoever did it, filmed the entire loop of all of the scoreboard animations after a game. And they just let the camera statically stay there. And it just filmed all of those animations. I could not believe my eyes. So I so they were some of them were ragged and some of them were wore out. And of course, being a VHS tape transferred to DVD, the quality wasn't the greatest. But I was able to take that, um, put it into some software, kind of enhance it a little bit, but not too much to where it took away from the 8-bitness of it, if you will. And I was able to get all of those Mr. Red's races, the hot dog and sausage, the you're out, the safe, the balk where the guy falls over, the umpire running out, the bullpen, the crane, you know, the crane coming Walks over and taking the pitcher haunt. out. Walks will haunt. <laughs> 
<laughs> so many. There must have been 30 or 40. Wow. And I took all those and we did that. So we put that to bed. It was over. I was so happy with it. But I kept all of the, you know, I had the template built. So then fast forward to 2016 when they had the 1976 reunion and the Pete Rose induction of the Reds Hall of Fame and that whole thing, they had a throwback game. And the Reds asked me, they said, is there any way we can do this, the retro stuff that you did a few years ago? I say, absolutely. I had two days. I did not sleep. I had 18 pots of coffee. I stayed up and did characters of all of the current players so they could show them at the game. So that throwback night, we used all retro graphics. It was so fun to do. And then, of course, at the induction, I, it was a, just an honor. One of the greatest things I've ever done for the Reds is when they introduced all the players in the Big Red Machine, they used all of my graphics in the background, Davey Concepcion, Cesar Geronimo. They had all of those you know, cartoons of them up on the stage. And it was just a magical, magical thing. And to have those still end up like I, you post them on Twitter, you know, and, I, and I, I, I get all this feedback and it's just it's always positive. Twitter can be a cesspool, as you know, but it's always <laughs> yeah. positive. It's always I remember my dad and I betting on that, you know, a sucker or a pop or, or you know, big league chew or whatever it was. If number three won or when you would hear, you know, the charging bull when they would yell charge and then the trumpet would play. Just all of that stuff that people of our generation absolutely adore. And then we can pass that on to our kids and grandkids, right? Because that way they can see, well, it wasn't always this video game thousand. It used to be very simple and basic, and it's so fun. And I and I continue to be amazed at the technology they had then and what they did with it. It's just just incredible. But yeah, that was one of the the, the most fun projects I've ever worked on. No question. Yeah, fantastic. Now, you mentioned something earlier, and you beat me to it, because this is the one thing that I really wanted to talk about more than anything uh, about Riverfront Stadium, because every time I mention, you mentioned Twitter as well, because ever so often I will just go on a, a nostalgia uh, kick about Riverfront. I'll mention Riverfront, and my mentions start getting flooded by people who remember it the way we remembered it. And it's that's one of the fun things about Twitter, one of the very few fun things, is getting a chance to reminisce with Reds fans about that place. Um but the one thing that comes up every time, and I mentioned almost every time, and I've written columns over the years. When I don't have anything to write about, I'll just write about Riverfront. And um, But my, my favorite thing about that place, and every single kid who ever went to Riverfront Stadium will tell you their single favorite thing about that place. And if you did, if this wasn't your favorite thing, I am going to have to uh, guess that you really never actually went there as a kid. Those rubber expansion joints outside the stadium on the uh, on the concourse. Just I, I remember the, what is this? You know, my first time there, and me and my brother, we jump on them, and, and every single time you go to a game after that, you have to step on those things. I don't know why. I don't know what I loved about them. I don't know what everybody loved about them, but everyone has this similar memory of those rubber expansion joints outside the stadium. It's the dumbest thing, but it's 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 burned into my brain at this point. Right. It's it's so funny because it's the same for me. I was putting this documentary together and I was talking to some people and it was, you're going to mention the joints, right? The rubber. Yeah, I'm going to mention. So what about the joints? <laughs> and then, and two days later. So you're going to talk about, it's nothing to it. do with any, it's the most basic construction thing ever, every, but I think what it was, I tried to figure it out. Like, why is this so, such a big deal? Well, Riverfront had such a huge plaza you got to remember this the stadium was built at the time on the world's largest parking garage 
I mean, it was the world's largest parking garage, the building, the structure. Nowhere in the world could you find something that big, 4,500 cars, whatever it was. So you had this giant concrete structure that had never been constructed, something like that before. So, of course, they had to use sometimes you see joints in highways and they're real skinny and small little rubber, you know, joints and, and you'll see them in, in some sidewalks in bigger cities, but these were pretty big size. Cause you could get your little size six, whatever, when you were a kid foot on them and you would jump on them and bounce. Like it was a great, like it was a romper room. There's something about that, that you, you couldn't see that anywhere else. You weren't going to go down to the playground and get that experience. You were going to go downtown to the skywalk and get that experience only at the Plaza riverfront. Could you, and you're right. It was the craziest, weirdest thing, but, everybody remembers that i remember it i remember bouncing on everyone and i had a thing with my brothers where um we would jump on one they would race to the next one jump on the other one it became a game it was like something that you you couldn't wait for the game to be over so you could go play on the expansion joints there was something about it you're absolutely right my friend i agree <laughs> the, the the kids and we have some we have some frankly kids uh to me anyway that uh, are uh long time dedicated uh, listeners to the show but they're probably thinking what in the world are these guys to, talking yeah. about <laughs> rubber expansion I, I think back to uh you know the stadium opened uh, halfway through 1970 1970 right. season and right. so we are now uh, more than half a century uh, past that point and I, I think back to when they were building it they designed it and i imagine a conversation in uh, some uh, room somewhere where they're thinking man you know it, in in more than 50 years from now they're probably gonna somebody's probably gonna do a documentary about the stadium what are the things that uh, you know these uh, these yahoos are going to talk about you know what's going to be memorable about the stadium and here we are talking about something right. that no one ever would have guessed this you know right. these expansion right joints. exactly 50 plus it. years later it's not it's not about the majestic you know the roman coliseum how it looked or how the the biggest parking garage and the astroturf covered the whole field the first time in baseball had ever been done the first world series to be played on astroturf's riverfront we're talking about expansion joints it's like the old uh uh, what's that? Iverson, Alan Iverson. We're talking about practice. <laughs> We're talking about expansion joints. <laughs> I, I love it. it. I, I don't know. Just, um, you know, something else that was uh, great about, I've never been to a stadium where it's easier to get in and out. Exactly. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, I guess what I'm, what we're saying here, we probably should just end on this because what else can we say? It was perfect in every way. It was way. perfect every way. And of course it got, it was at the end of its, at the end of her lifespan, she had seen a lot. It wasn't kept up like it probably should have been. Uh, we took it for granted. And like I said, when I when I first started cutting this film, I did the reverse in my prologue. And I used the trailers. You've probably seen it where I reversed the implosion to make it come back together in a setting that is a, a photo of what is now where Great American Ballpark is and the logger house and the, the apartments there. So I re, you know, I I. I reversed it the film to bring it back and it was emotional because you see it coming back and you're like why can't that still be there there's something absolutely incredible about that place and i hope my film even though it's only 30 minutes and hits on all the points i hope it does it justice and then other people are going to explore riverfront and maybe they'll learn something else about it because that's what this is all about you share this history so generations from now are not going to forget what riverfront stadium was really like well, what you're doing is really it's a it's a piece of not just uh, Reds history and not just baseball history, um, but it's a, a significant piece of the history of Cincinnati. Uh, you know, oh, yes. of, of this yes. uh, of this city. And this was for you know uh, thirty plus years. It was the center of athletic activity, frankly, uh, and not just athletic activity with the Reds and Bengals, but concerts. And it was just it was so 
you know, kind of interwoven into the fabric of the city that when you're telling the story of Riverfront Stadium and you're telling the Reds por- portion of that story, uh, and, there, and I know you've talked about there's a, there's a bigger story as well, but you're still, you're, you're talking about the history of the Queen City. And um, so if, if you want to dismiss it as, oh, they're just talking about it, some baseball nonsense. No, this is a, a significant, to me, historical document. I'm eager to see because it's a historical document that's bigger than baseball when it comes to this city that we all love. Right. And it's the thing that I think some people are going to be surprised at. I'm not going to give away all of the, the, the film, the plot, spoiler alert, they tear it down. But <laughs> there's something about the fact that I didn't realize until I started researching the idea of a 50 to 60,000 seat multi-purpose stadium has been in the making for a hundred years. It started in the twenties. It was not oh, wow. just something they thought about, you know, Oh, in the 60s, the Reds might move. We better build them a stadium. Let's get this together. This was something that the Reds wanted to do going back to August Herman in the 1920s. And it never could get, you know, would get somewhere. They have designs. They talked about doing this. They talked about um, maybe in Blue Ash there's going to be a field. Maybe they'll just redo Crosley. They even talked about doing one at Union Terminal in the parking lot somewhere we could figure. They tried everything and thought of it until Riverfront finally came to be. Um, was it going to be a dome? They talked about that. Was it going to be a horseshoe, kind of like Ohio State Stadium? Well, they talked about that. But eventually, believe it or not, Cincinnati got something done, and they got it done right. It was an absolute masterpiece because, like you said, function that you could get in and you could get out. You could walk from downtown at an eatery or establishment, have a few drinks, walk across that bridge to a ball game, go back to your car. So easy. It was That's what the purpose was. So, of course, they skipped out on the neighborhood feel of it. It wasn't in a neighborhood. It was on the riverbanks, which is embodies the blue collarness of Cincinnati. Just a, an absolute splendid, splendid piece of history. And I hope that, like I said, I hope I do it justice. I really do. And that this film, even though it's only 30 minutes, you're going to learn something from it. And then you're going to go read about, oh, well, this happened. I need to read more about this. And then it goes on and on and on. And we just keep talking about it because I think it's important that we keep this in our minds and in our memories forever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Keep, uh, keep it, uh, again, it's, it's a historical document. I can't wait to right. be entertained by it and it's going to be entertaining, but it's a historical document, frankly, right. that's going to help educate, uh, 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 future generations. Now, um, we, we've talked about the expansion joints. We've talked about the glorious green turf. We've talked about, uh, all the things that we love about this place, but we have not touched on these probably, let's be honest, the single greatest thing that ever happened. I mean, you can talk about the bigger machine if you want. We can talk about the 1990 Reds. We can talk about Pete and Johnny and Joe Morgan and all the all the greats, Barry Larkin. Uh, but the single greatest thing that ever happened in that stadium was a Reds-related event, and it happened more than once. And, and it was this. It was um, yeah, Farmer's Night. Farmer's Night. The best. <laughs> Bring back Farmer's <laughs> Night. Are Please. you kidding me? It's so entertaining to see these guys that most of them have never been that close to a cow except in a storybook that their mom and dads read them. It was so entertaining. I was only able to go to a few. Were you able to go to any? Do you remember any? Uh, just one. Just one. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a couple and I remember just how it wasn't just because of the activities on the field, but you got to interact with people in the stands that only came up one or two times a year because of Farmer's Night. You had people from middle of nowhere, Kentucky, middle of nowhere, Ohio, West Virginia, all of these places where they would come because it was such a big deal. Nobody else had this. This was 
a, a unique Cincinnati thing that they packed the place. Are you kidding me? It was so much fun. I loved it. I would, I'm not what you would call, although my ancestors are all farmers from way back in the day, I'm not what you would call a farmer type of guy, but I loved everything about it. And I wish they'd bring it back. You're absolutely right. Uh, yes, definitely, definitely. Now, I do want to talk a little bit more about. Uh, I want to get into the Hall of Fame and, and how you got into this. I want I want to uh, touch on a lot of that stuff, but I'm having so much fun just kind of reminiscing about the uh, stadium. I, I'm going to bring up something else, which is that I remember when Great American Ballpark opened, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was there uh, that day, and still have a panoramic photo of uh, Jimmy Haynes throwing that pitch on my wall in my office. Um, but I remember that. Be, uh, adoring the place, absolutely love it. I thought oh, it's, it's gorgeous. You know, this is this is they did it right, but being extremely disappointed by by one thing, which is that the field level seats weren't blue <laughs> and they weren't green and yellow and re- the red seats. Everyone knows when you say the red seats, everyone of a certain generation knows what you're talking about. And top six, you know, we used to get top six uh, tickets, you know, and um, and I don't know why we went away from that. What a great way to, <laughs> you know, I've got blue seat tickets, you know. Right. Yeah, you didn't say field level. You said I got blue. I got blue seats. Exactly, and that was one of the genius things that Mr. Finch, the the director and of the the architect, the guy that was pretty much in charge. It was two firms came together to build this place, and it took two hundred architects. Don't get me wrong, but Mr. Finch, James H. Finch, uh, was the mastermind. He designed Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and he was the one that designed Riverfront to be what it is. And it was his idea to do these color coded seats because. It, it makes sense when you think about it. Like, well, you got a ticket that's red, you're going into the red. If you got a blue ticket, there was no question. You didn't have to worry about it. Now that they're all red, you go, I'm sitting in the red seats. Well, of course you are. It's like an Abbott and Costello's right. skit, right? I, I don't understand why, they, because you could have, they did all of those things that Crosley Terrace, right? They All these nod, nods to history of Crosley Field, but they really skimped out, I think, on the riverfront experience. And you could have easily done that. I, I didn't know it's not, pleasing to look at if you're just thinking in terms of how a stadium looks and well they should all be red because of the Cincinnati Reds what of course but there's something about that knowing where where you're going to sit and just looking at it from an overhead shot if can you imagine today Great American Ballpark and looking down when they got one of those helicopter flybys and seeing all of those different color seats it'd be, it'd be amazing Okay, people people probably that had didn't experience to think think that we're insane but there's something right. to it and <laughs> and the you know uh the the well, I'm trying to think of the right term, but the um, the scariest people mm. on earth were hired to be ushers at the blue seats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was terrified as a child of those ushers <laughs> who you, you, you and that's another thing. When I mentioned it on Twitter, everybody talks about the expansion notes, but everyone also wants to mention those ushers that would uh, you know guard the blue seats uh, to the death. Uh, it's, it seems like another common experience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Like you had to. There had to be some kind of trading for that. Like you had to be. Over 60, um, you had to uh, not have a fondness for people, uh, just in general, because it, it, I, they were doing their jobs. And of course, as we get older, we yeah, the old crotchety guy, that we all had that experience, but there was something about it. And I've talked to people that went to Riverfront that were from other, other stadiums, and they said, no, you guys, I don't know who you hired to do that, but they laid down the law. You were not getting in there unless you absolutely had the right identification. That's just the way it was. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now, so, so uh, how long have you been with the uh, the Reds Hall of Fame, Cam? I, I started as, uh, and I say this all the time, uh, a carny, because that's what I basically was. 
in 2004, of course, you have to remember that the Reds Hall of Fame um, started out opening day 2005, but they had a event that previous November of 04, and it was uh, a gala to, you know, kind of get people to talk about it. it was for the big wigs, of course. And if, and I, I've told this story a million times, but I walk in because it was my orientation. I wasn't paid that night. I was just come on in, get you get a feel for the building. And they never told me what was going to happen. It's you we're having this gala. Just come on down. You have a few drinks, kind of get familiar with the staff and I'll introduce you to some people. So I'm like, OK, this sounds fine. I go in, you know, I got my shirt, my tie. It's all, you know, OK, this is going to be interesting. What's going to happen? I walk in the front door. And Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr. over here, and Geronimo's <laughs> over here, and Joe Morgan's over here, and Sparky. It was like I had walked into the cornfield of Field of Dreams. And it was just, I, this can't, I, ex, I had the expectation that this was going to happen every day. This is what happens at the Hall of Fame. These people are alive and they're living, breathing. This is insane. I can't, I can't believe this. Of course, I, I go home and I, I, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I cannot wait for opening day 05 and then opening day 05 comes. And of course, my job is going to be to pick up the baseballs and the speed pitch and tell the stories of the big red machine and give the tours and and kind of be the, the carny. Step right this way, that type of thing. I loved it. Um, and of course, opening day 05, my first day on the job is when Joe Randa hits the home run. And I'm like, oh, how can you? I was there. A, wasn't it, a, it was an amazing, oh. amazing feeling. Like, how can I top this? And of course, the season was the season, but still, I got to be able to experience that moment uh, in the Hall of Fame and high fiving strangers on the on the plaza level there, where you know where you walk out of the Hall of Fame, and, and it was just this great experience, and I loved it. Well, um, they had asked for me; uh, they needed a film done in the nineteen nineteen exhibit, and I kind of raised my hand, you know, in the classroom. I can do films; it's kind of what I do as a hobby. Um, and they said, try it. And I stayed up all night. I made this Ed Roush film. It played in the exhibit. I was so honored. I mean, my film is going to be seen by hundreds and thousands of people throughout the season. They liked it. We started doing other projects. And then when cutbacks were made and things changed and the Castellinis took over, I became expendable. But the greatest thing was I started Camular Films um, as my business in 06. And my number one client was the Reds. So I got to continue my relationship as, you know, the guy that does the audio and visual for the, the Reds Hall of Fame and sometimes for the Reds when need be. Um, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. I, it's, it's always a pinch me. Every day is a pinch me moment. Like nine-year-old Cam Miller outside throwing a ball against the wall, pretending like he's Barry Larkin. And then you get to make films and do things about your heroes in your hometown. It's just unbelievable. And I've been so lucky to be able to do what I do. And there's always... I get to create every single day. How many people can say that? I get the opportunity to not worry about the current status of what's going on. Of course, it bothers me as a fan, but I get to jump into the big red machine. I get to jump into 1869. I get to play around the 1919 or 1882, the first year of the franchise, by the way. Let me not forget to say that. Not 1869, True. 1882. But it's so fun, and I love every second of it. So doing films like this... Um, it's just, it's an amazing experience. And I've been doing it now since 05, 06. So I, and I can't wait to do it another 20 years. It's just so much fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the current state of the team uh, is, is what it is. And we've been dealing with that it for a while, is, but, right. but, but, but one of the joys of being a red, I mean, imagine if you were a Diamondbacks fan, you don't have a oh, hundred plus years nothing. of history, you right. know, to, to, uh, you know, just uh, two weeks ago, I think my column in the magazine was about the 1972 Reds because I just wanted right. yeah, I wanted to talk about something that made me happy. And so uh, we have so much of that to draw on. And so that's another reason why I'm I'm thrilled for this uh, 
for this new documentary. But the Reds Hall of Fame is I've been to most major league ballparks. I've been to, to arenas and stadiums for every other sport. Um, I have been to um, the what's considered to be the, the number one most state-of-the-art soccer stadium in the world. And never have I seen anything at any of these places that can match the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame and Museum. It is just the premier for, for lovers of the Reds and the history of the Reds. It is the premier spot. And I, I, I go to it uh, pretty much every year and um, it never fails to give me something to think about or to, uh, to enjoy, or, you know, maybe it's a film, maybe it's, I don't know, just, just getting lost in the good times, but it's so well curated. And of course they, no, listen, they were, they were all very nice to me. You mentioned uh, Chris Eckes uh, when we, you know, we did a signing or two at the, uh, for, for the book a couple of years back, they've just been so gracious, but I, I don't know. I'm just, um, if you've not been to the Reds Hall of Fame Museum, First of all, I don't. What do you what, what are you waiting for? Go now, because it's a it's an opportunity to kind of forget the nonsense that's happened on the on the field and in the ownership box, um, and, and go enjoy this team that we all love. For you know, we we have our own reasons for loving it, but man, they do such a good job of celebrating and and mixing it up something new every year. So uh, I'm a little jealous that you get to go down there all the time. That's a you know, it seems like a great way to to spend your time. It's amazing, and you're absolutely right. I'm, of course, I'm biased, but there's nothing like it in the world. And the one thing that I can say that, because um, you so eloquently stated, it's just one of the most beautiful Hall of Fames, and it's put together so well, especially since the renovations a few years ago. Um, I had the opportunity to write all of the dialogue for all of the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, when you go in and you touch the plaque and the thing comes up, I was I got to write all of those bios. And I oh, remember wow. originally it was going to be Al Michaels that read all those but a scheduling conflict came up so that he couldn't do it. But I was writing that with the knowledge of thinking Al Michaels is doing this. So can you imagine I'm sitting in my dining room, my laptop, like bid McPhee 1882 and thinking, and I'm saying it in Al Michaels voice in my head, of course it didn't work out. And I love Joel Van using, he's, he's awesome. I love, 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 love him. He's such a class act, but Al Michaels was going to do it. I was so disappointed, but <laughs> it's such a great, great, great Hall of Fame. And I have been so, so thankful that I've been had, had the opportunity to work with them. And there's always going to be some great project down the line. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I remember when I first started there, Jerry Jones came in to look at the place, um, Dallas Cowboys owner, and he wanted to, to do something. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. He was like, huh. He was getting ideas. I don't think anything ever come up because – Nobody's going to get a Hall of Fame. I don't. The Cardinals don't have one like this. The Cubs, the Dodgers, the Yankees don't have one like this. There's nobody. And it's amazing to me that some people still have not been there. Like, oh, yeah, I passed by it. I'm at the game. It will be worth your while. It's not just about the big red machine. It's not just about the 1990 team. It's not just about 1919. And you, some people don't want to go all the way back into history. I understand that. But you will. there will be something there for you. There'll be something there, some random player that you'll see a baseball card of or a glove or an artifact of spikes, um, just something so unbelievable that's going to trigger something. And you're like, oh, I remember that. And it's going to bring tears of joy to you because you're going to go back to when you were nine or 10 years old and you went to Riverfront Stadium or Great American Ballpark if you're a little bit younger. There's something there for everybody. And that's what's so great about it. They don't just focus on you know, the big red machine or what, what have you, they have such a great, they, they encompass everything and it's, you're right. It's just so fantastic. And we are so lucky. So yeah, you're right. Please, please, please go to the hall of fame. If you've not been there. Well, and if you have been there, 
new exhibits yeah. every year. I Always. mean, it's, they do such a great job of, of kind of keeping it fresh. And I, I, listen, they're not paying me to, to say this. I'm a legit huge fan of that because, again, I've been everywhere. And I've never seen anyone. You know, uh, my brother went down to the new uh, Brave Stadium uh, a couple mm-hmm. years ago. He's like, oh, they got this great area, you know, with the, you know, the World Series trophies and, uh, you know, uh, the Hall of Fame or whatever. And I said, oh, I look forward to seeing this. So I happened to be down there. So I thought, I'm going to the stadium. And it's just like a little It's a corner. room. Yeah, yeah it's most nothing. of them that it's, have that, most of the teams right. that have Hall of Fames and they say, we have a Hall of Fame. Do you understand we have two floors and we would have three, but we have offices in the middle. So the first floor is incredible with a theater that looks like Palace of the Fans. Are you kidding me? And then you go up to the top and it's just another, it encompasses everything with statues and replicas of Johnny Bench. And it's such an amazing place. I, I, I love that everybody has their little rooms for their little trophies. That's great. Congratulations, but there's nothing like the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame Museum. They have never skimped out on anything. They go above and beyond for every single thing that they put out. It's just it's so I love the relationship I have with them. And, you know, I hope to keep continuing because it's you're right. It's not about what's going on now. It's about loving the history that we have of baseball in this town because it all started here. Yeah, that's why I, I can't I couldn't go anywhere if I wanted to. The Yankees, I went to Yankee Stadium, all the history they've got. It's a great little room they've got, right? With, uh, Lou, Lou <laughs> Gehrig and Babe Ruth's yeah. jerseys. It's fantastic. It's glorious, right? But right. you know, it's a, you know, uh, it, it's it's just not the same. So, um, I look forward to getting back there. It's actually been a while. I've not been to to the Hall of Fame in a couple of years because of my uh, current relationship with the uh, on field product that we're not going to talk about. But I, I am eager to get back to the uh, to the Hall of Fame. Um. So now. J- you, you you've been 2000 and what's 2004 i guess uh you've mm-hmm. been you've been had a relationship uh, with uh, the reds hall of fame and um but but everything that you've done is not strictly related to the cincinnati reds uh and so i wanted just to quickly to introduce uh some some uh viewers slash listeners to uh, some of your other stuff because uh there's some great stuff uh, you know the covington blue Sox documentary was one i'd never heard i'd never heard of the covington blue Sox until you introduced me to them um, uh, how did that come about? It's being such a baseball historian and, and, and a lover of the game. And of course, being just a researcher, I mean, part of it, yes, was my job. I was working on a Crosley field film. Um, and, and, um, this was, this was actually before I was thinking about doing something Crosley in the late nineties before I could even, before I had a relationship with the hall of fame, I wanted to do a book or a film. I had this vision of something on Crosley field. And I talked to my good friend, John O'Rourke, um, who used to work for the Enquirer, just an outstanding writer, a good friend. And he um, said, hey, maybe you should just do a book about Crosley. I was like, I don't know. It's, I don't know if that's really up my alley, so to speak. So I started researching. And while I was there, my mom said, hey, while you're there at the library, why don't you look up some family history stuff, you know, about your grandpa? I was like, okay. I'm going through the microfilm, and when I say microfilm, I mean actual microfilm machines that you cranked on your hand and you slid by. And if you wanted to print out, you had to put a dime in the machine. This is late 90s. And uh, I ran across this team that said, Covington Blue Sox win a thriller in St. Louis. I'm like, what? I go a couple days later, Covington Blue Sox pull off the double squeeze at Federal Park. I'm like, what is this? I keep going. And I see that there's a team called the Covington Blue Sox that belonged to, in the Federal League. I knew about the Federal League, how it was this, you know, rogue league that wanted to, you know, have all about the players' rights, less about the owners. And I could not believe my hometown of Covington, Kentucky, 
had a professional baseball team for one season, not even one season in 1913, two or three months in 1913. And the backstory about how they got that team and how it came to be, I said, there's my film. This is what I'm going to do. And I will never forget. I put it on Twitter way back in 2013, 2014 and see Trent retweeted it. And then other people picked it up. And I said, I'm doing this film in the blue socks. And it just steam, you know, it just kept going down the, the train tracks and people started talking about it. So I had this big premiere at the library of all places um, in Covington and it was packed the place standing room only for all of these people that wanted to learn about this team. I showed the film. I did a Q and a, and one of the people that was in the audience for the premiere was the guy, Mr. Dickman, who run Dickman's uh, sports bar in Kentucky. He wanted to start a sports bar in Covington and he needed a name. And he said, Justice, Smoke Justice, which was the nickname of the starting pitcher for the Covington Blue Sox in May of 1913, who won, pitched a four, a four to nothing shutout uh, at the old Federal Park on Scott Street. And so every time I go in there, I always say every beer you sell here, I should get a profit of because, you, <laughs> okay. but the team, the story of how the community came together to build this little ragtag park. And I mean, Cy Young managed there. Are, are you kidding me? Cy Young was in coming to Kentucky managing a game. Um, the, the Covington people asked Ty Cobb to manage. He of course declined, but he manages this team or he was asked to manage his team. Um, they were really all in and it was all about, packing in that place unfortunately there was a flood in 1913 the economics were terrible and it was just hard to unless you were big city it was very hard to fill up stands in for day baseball games obviously no night games yet right so everybody's working at the newport steel mill everybody's working across the river it was really hard to keep attendance up so the team transfers to kansas city um, midway through 1913 they become the kansas city packers and lo and behold one year later, 1914, the Kansas City Packers opened up none other than Wrigley Field. And a few years ago, there was a throwback game where for the 100th anniversary of Wrigley Field, and they had the Chicago Cubs wearing 1914 uniforms, and I think it was the Arizona Diamondbacks, if I'm not mistaken, were wearing 1914 Kansas City Packers. We were one season away from them playing the Covington Blue Sox in that throwback game. And wow. believe me, I thought about that. Like, oh, we were so close. But just a nice little slice of history here that nobody knew about. It was like, oh, I never knew that. And then people now they sell merchandise. And I have a Blue Sox bat in my office here. I They had a throwback game for the Florence Yalls, the independent minor league team in Florence, Kentucky. They had a throwback Covington Blue Sox night where they wore jerseys. It's just so neat to see. When I'll, I, all I did was go through the microfilm and find this little blurb about Covington, and it became all of this. And it really kind of jump-started my career to think outside the Reds, to do other teams, and to focus on other things. I've been talking to other professional baseball teams about their scoreboards and how they can do retro nights and maybe some of the old graphics. So I can't wait to dive into some of those old Pittsburgh Pirate ones, Detroit Tigers, Philadelphia Veteran Stadium. I'm looking forward to working with those guys. So um, it's just, again... I can't believe I'm so lucky to do what I do. And even when it's discovering little obscure hundred year old baseball teams that nobody knew about, I love it. And the, uh, the Covington Blue Sox documentary, along with all the other work, the riverfront graphics, all that, you can see all Cam's uh, YouTube page, Cam Miller, Cam Miller films. Right. Uh, so go watch that. Absolutely. Uh, it was, it was a delight. Now, before we get out of here, I want to, I heard you tell this story on, on another podcast it was on uh, Mo Eggers, uh, fine podcast. Um, but I wanted to, uh, 
ask you about it here because I think it kind of encapsulates some of what we're talking about just in terms of why we still love this organization. And you, uh, you evidently gave a tour of the Reds Hall of Fame to uh, a certain legend of the sports world. And I'm not talking about Jerry Jones. Uh, why don't you tell us about that if you don't mind? Absolutely. Um, so I'm at the front desk at the Hall of Fame and it's one of those slow days and, you know, not much going on. The t- it was the end of the season, kind of later in the summer, and it was like the team was out of it. But you're still, you know, you have to still go to work. You have to show up in case you get this big influx of people that want to come to the Reds Hall of Fame on an August, you know, night. Um, and lo and behold, I'm sitting there with a couple of coworkers, and unannounced through the front door, the great one, Mr. Wayne Gretzky and his family, walks through the door. No security, no, just walks through the door. And we're stumbling each, over each other to try to get to do the tour. We're jumping over the desk. We're knocking each other down. It was like a comedy, old silent movie comedy. We're Charlie Chaplin, if you will. And we're running and we're trying to, and I win. I happen to be a little bit better shape than I am in now. And I get up front there and I'm Mr. Gretzky right this way. And I'm show I'm show it off. I'm like, as you can see, Mr. Gretzky over here. And he's taking it all in. His family, not as enthused about the history of the Reds. They go off <laughs> to the gift shop to spend money on all of their, you know, Reds gear at the time. And I am pointing out every detail I can. Um, a crowd starts forming around. And I'm walking him through. And I'm like, as you can see over here, it's the championship trophy, 1975. And oh, wait, Mr. Gretzky, did you know that in 76, they won it again? They beat the Yankees. They swept them. And I'm showing him all of these great things. And then at the end, we get this was when the Hall of Fame had the plaques hanging. Um, I keep using Field of Dreams, but it's it's true. When you went to that Hall of Fame room and you heard the montage of radio calls coming from above, almost from heaven. And you see these plaques hanging in the middle with these very thin wires. So it looks like they're just floating and you're walking through them. And it's magical to use the term that we used earlier. And it's so incredible. And he stops dead in his tracks and he starts walking around and reading every single plaque, two or three paragraphs on each player in the Reds Hall of Fame. And he stops at each one and he's looking and I'm just looking at my watch. Okay. He's going to look at a couple more and he's out of here. He looks at every single one. And I'm like, well, Mr. Gretzky, I kind of want to, this is fine. But what, uh, as you can see over here, here's a bat where Pete got his 3000th hit. He, he absolutely and unequivocally stops me from talking, which people have been trying to do for 48 years now. <laughs> and they, he says, you know, that's all great, Cam. Uh, I really, that's cool. Uh, but these people here, Bid McPhee, Ted Glazuski, all of these guys, that the Joe Nuxalls of the world, Frank Robinson, all of these individual players made that. I want to know their story. And it was, and he said that, and I could feel my chest. It, there was this ache, like, he doesn't want to hear my story about Pete's bat? <laughs> what, what do you mean? He put me in my place and it was the greatest thing that could ever happen to this old historian is for the greatest hockey player arguably ever to sit there with no agenda. There was no agenda here. It was just, I want to go see this Reds Hall of Fame. He was in town for an event. He was in there for an hour and a half, two hours and looked at everything, especially that Hall of Fame room. He took his time, didn't have a cell phone camera out, taking selfies with people. 
he was laser focused on reading the bios of every player that was enshrined in the Hall of Fame that made Cincinnati baseball what it is. And I remember I used to take the tank bus in northern Kentucky, if you know, but that's the the, the bus that goes around Cincinnati, northern Kentucky. And so I'd have to pay to park. I would take that bank that, that you know, home. I lived in Latonia at the time, Latonia, Kentucky. It was about 15, 20 minute bus ride. And I sat in the back of that bus. And it was the saddest thing. It was like out of a movie. You're sitting there and like I can hear the sad music playing over my head. I'm just sitting there, my head down. Like I gave Wayne Gretzky a tour and he just didn't care. But the more I thought about it and what he said made me realize, and it's shaped me as a filmmaker today. It's not always about the big red machine. It's not always about the, the greatness of Cincinnati baseball and how we put ourselves in this pedestal of being this and that and, oh, look what we did. Every player came from somewhere and had a story, whether they are Frank Robinson, whether they're Bid McPhee, whether they're Dan Bilardello. There's always somebody that, that made a mark on somebody in, in, in Red's fandom. And I started paying more attention to that aspect of the Reds history than I did with all the championships. Of course, that's all great, but it got me thinking about how lucky are we to have all of these great players play for the Cincinnati Reds baseball club. And it was really an eye-opening thing. And of all people, it wasn't Pete Rose who told me that Ken Griffey Sr. or Sparky Anderson and his wisdom. It was Wayne Gretzky. The great one. So a fantastic, a fantastic story that I will always share. It's just, it's one of those things you never know. You just never know what can happen and how somebody can affect you. I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, listen, I've had a, uh, I've got a kick out of uh, reminiscing a little bit. And I hope that everyone that, uh, not just our age, but, uh, the, you know, those who um, experienced uh, reference to him and even those that didn't, I hope they, uh, you know, uh, come away from this conversation. And then, of course, uh, uh, come away from this conversation more interested in the documentary, obviously, but also just with a, a, a more of an appreciation for how special that place was. What, uh, what, what is there anything that I should have asked you? What, what else do you, is there, that you, do you want to tell people about the, about the documentary before we get out? Well, of okay. Uh, it's going to, like I said before, it's sold out. It's uh, the premiere is sold out. If you, so if you are attending, um, I cannot wait to meet you. We are going to have a great event where I show the film, go across the street, show you all of the landmarks, um, what have you have a few beers, Reminisce about Riverfront. Um, but again, please, it's I want you when you come into this film, if you're lucky enough to be at the premiere, this film was intentionally made as if you were walking in to Riverfront Stadium. Now remember, the Hall of Fame is located on the hallowed grounds of Riverfront Stadium. You're on the left field line-ish. Blue seats kind of into play there a little bit before where the Pete Rose marker was right there. So you're actually on the spot of Riverfront Stadium in left field when you watch it in the theater. And when you walk in, you are going to be greeted at on the screen as if you were just stepped into a game in 1987 and you're watching batting practice and you've got 30 minutes before the first pitch. You're going to see the Jumbotron. You're going to see the scoreboard. And it's going to tell you the tale of riverfront it's almost like you were going in 1987 ish or so and you were watching a documentary on that stadium before a game that's the way i present this film it's not just a timeline of here as it is to here it is it's the scoreboard telling you the story and the jumbotron telling you the story with with some highlights and some other things mixed in that kind of gives you a cliff notes version right before game time at a 705 game at riverfront stadium on a saturday night you're going to experience that. Now, of course, later I'm going to post it on YouTube for everybody to watch for freely. I, I'm not sure when that's going to be, but it will happen. It's very important to me that this is out there for the public to see. No money, 
nothing like that, no streaming service or fees. This is for you, the fans, the appreciators of Riverfront and, and baseball to watch at your own discretion whenever you please. So that's actually going to happen soon. I'm not sure the date. I will definitely announce it on my Twitter page where you'll be able to find that information. But you might not get that same experience as the premiere event, but I hope that when you're sitting there, you put your headphones on and you just focus in, you are going to see Riverfront Stadium come back to life for 30 minutes. And that's what I really want people to to get out of this. And the fact that um, my dad recently passed away um, actually, on June 30th, which would have been the anniversary of Riverfront Stadium. And his birthday, he would have been 74 on September 9th. So my family is all going to come down the first time I've seen them since it happened. So we are going to have this family emotional connection because he's the one that took me to Riverfront in the first place. So there's that emotional connection. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult. It will be. But it's going to be so it's, – it's a closure for not only me but – other people that I ask to contribute their names of loved ones, they're no longer with us, or people who took them to their first game at Riverfront, they're going to have their family's names up on the scoreboard, and I displayed it at the end during the credits. So that's going to be a really special moment for everybody, and it goes back to Field of Dreams, as it always does. It's kind of like that family thing, and I hope that at the premiere, it's, it's successful and everybody loves it, and I hope afterwards, when you're watching in the comfort of your living room or in your office or on the subway or on the you know, the bus, wherever you happen to have your phone and you're watching this 30 minute film that you get something out of it and stay tuned for the book coming soon to a bookstore near you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, but that is going to be an emotional night uh, for it's so many tough. reasons. I think it's going to be a, a great night for you though. Uh, yes. in, in, in so many ways. And I'm excited uh, for you to, to show this to the world and I'm eager to see it. And I just, listen, I've, I've had such a blast talking to you tonight here at cam and, and obviously talking on, on Twitter, Often, uh, uh, certainly, I encourage everyone to, to seek out Cam on Twitter, on YouTube, wherever, uh, uh, you know, um, wherever else you are. But um, because uh, that that love of what this team means to this city beyond the wins and losses is something that uh, uh, more and more I find myself uh, drawn to. So, yes. so thank you for the documentary. Can't wait to see it. And uh, congratulations. And, uh, man. Thanks for, thanks for coming and hanging out with me for a little while. I love it. We got to do this more often, my friend. I love it. Thank you. Agree 100%. This will not be the last time you join us here at the Riverfront, because who else should we could we have on the Riverfront but the guy who did the documentary? Uh, this is the Riverfront. Uh, thank you all for you – can. You, I'm not going to tell you where you can find us. We're everywhere, whatever. Uh, watch us, don't watch us, um, but definitely watch uh, the Riverfront Stadium. Okay, uh, gang, thank you so much. Uh, Cam, appreciate it. Uh, for Cam thank Miller, you. this is Chad Dawson saying – so long, everyone.